This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 195, where we're talking about Daredevil, season 3, episode 9, Revelations. What's up, fellow Defenders? It is I, Chris, and I am back for Defenders TV Podcast, episode 195, where we're today talking about season three of Daredevil, episode nine, Revelations. I am joined by my esteemed colleagues and co-hosts. I'm one of your other hosts, Derek. Welcome back, Chris. Hello there, fellow Defenders. I am John, the third and final host that is rounding out the group. Yes, gentlemen, I was away for the last because I, I don't want to call it man flu, but like everyone else is calling it man flu. I'm like, no, no, I was sick. I had no voice. I, I, I was, I had like temperature. I was sweating. <laughs> so is it really, is it just man flu because I'm a man or anyway, that's beyond the point. I was sick and I had no voice and I, I don't think even Derek's prowess as a producer could fix the, the the squeak that was my uh, vocal cords. Yes, well, if, there's, if there is one thing that is required to be on a podcast, it's having a voice. So, yes, we did let you off for uh, for two podcasts, actually, for our Doctor Strange, uh, Strange Tales coverage, and for our last episode of Daredevil, Daredevil uh, 308, and all of those wonderful battles between Fisk and Karen Page. So, welcome back, Chris. Sorry you missed Thank that you one. Thank you very much. No, 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 it's good. feeling better, So, then. we're confirming it was just the Downton Abbey version of Daredevil? Um, so Kingpin was kind of just like, hello, and Karen Page was the worker. Anyway, moving on. Really interesting episode. Quite happy where they went. Mm-hmm. Left everything in a bit of a cliffhanger that led us into this episode. Yeah, yeah. Which I was not expecting them to do so early. I thought it was going to be a later reveal. I'm so glad they have revealed uh what they did reveal in that episode. We're going to talk about it, obviously, as we get into yeah. our spoiler-filled discussion of this episode. Uh, but I'm so glad they revealed that moment very early on, or at this point in the season, because we've known it since uh, Defenders. So uh, really glad that that happened. The sad news about the passing of Stan Lee came in while I was editing the podcast. Um, I just wanted to play a little piece about his thoughts about Daredevil, the character. There was an interview that he was doing with Seagate a couple of years ago, where he was asked what the most surprising character he'd ever created was. Here's his response. Maybe the most surprising was one day I said, gee, I'll bet I could make a hero out of a guy who is blind. Because if you're blind, all your other senses become magnified to a degree. If I just exaggerate that. And then I came up with Daredevil. So maybe that was the most surprising one, because you wouldn't think of a blind superhero right off the bat. All of us here as comic book readers are obviously very saddened by the loss of Stan Lee. Even if you didn't ever read a Marvel comic, I think you probably recognize who he was. One of the greatest storytellers ever around. So for me, thanks to Stan Lee for creating Nick Fury, the Helen Commandos, S.H.I.E.L.D., all along with Jack King Kirby. Thank you, Stan Lee, for creating Doctor Strange with Steve Ditko. You were psychedelically awesome. Condolences to all of us who are feeling the loss of Stan Lee. I want to thank him, along obviously with Steve Gitko, in creating Spider-Man, my my childhood, my character, my today. So, rest in peace, Stan, and I'm hoping you're up there creating even better universe f- superheroes for 
everyone else. Thank you. And uh, yeah, Excelsior. Rest in peace, Stanley. Let's get into our discussion about uh, this episode of Daredevil. Yes, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome aboard. Just make sure you head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com where you can find out everything about us, our previous back issues, and everything we do so far. And you can follow us there on all good or evil podcast catchers around the world. Before you join us for this one, make sure you just drop over to our last episode where John and Derek were talking about Strange Tales with Doctor Strange Issue 7 by Mark Wade, And, of course, then the Infinity Warps Soldier Supreme, which is just basically you guys melded together. Doctor Strange and Captain America <laughs> slash Nick Fury. It's part two of that by Jerry Duggan, which came out this weekend. So make sure you jump over and tell us if you're really enjoying our comic Strange Tales. We want to know what you think about our comic reviews. Mm-hmm. I want to yes. know what you all think of everything we do. Yeah, no, absolutely. But Chris, we need to get you on board to Strange Tales. Absolutely. Yes. You need to provide us with your... Your list. <laughs> yes, my list is secret at the moment and it's been shared, but we're trying to figure out which, which, what will be the best ones to focus on. It's been so long since Chris has been involved in Strange Tales that John actually forgot who his favourite comic book character was uh, last time. So yeah, uh, you need to get on and talk some Spider-Man. There's Spider-Geddon going on at the moment, Chris. You need to start picking that out, you know? Okay, okay, just really one quick thing. They actually launched in this Spider-Geddon 2. Mm-hmm. They launch Spiders Man, which is a Spider-Man's from a different, uh, uh, basically their version of Elseworlds, multiple verses, mm-hmm. like, but which is a collection of hundreds of thousands of spiders who collectively think that they are Peter Parker. Nice. It's a hive mind. Kind it's of a thing. hive mind that thinks it's Peter Parker, but made up of thousands of spiders, hundreds of thousands of spiders. So it's just like they eat bad guys. Why aren't we reading this at the moment, Chris? This is this is definitely one for because I think that this is this is definitely one. But I want to get the collected edition on this one. It's gonna just kind of get it all in one big healthy dose, like a binge watching on Netflix. Nope, that's not how we do our Strange Tales, Chris. we got to go for uh-huh. issue by issue, so you got to choose out an arc. But that is something that we will save for Strange Tales. We'll let Chris go away and think about it. <laughs> think about what he's done. Yes, you uh, think about it, Chris. <laughs> Let's get into this episode of our Daredevil coverage. Episode 309, Revelations. Uh, this episode was directed by Jennifer Lynch, daughter of David Lynch. Uh, she has directed another episode of Marvel Netflix. We've spoken about it before, back when she directed an episode of Jessica Jones in season two. Uh, really good director. I'm really enjoying this, the work that she's bringing to the TV. And obviously, I love David Lynch. I'm a huge uh, Twin Peaks fan. So always cool to have her involved uh, in these shows. Um, she also is directing an episode of season six of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., reportedly the last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which would make me cry. Um, but we do know they have at least got 13 episodes, which will be coming out after Avengers 4 next year. So uh, so at least we get another 13 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. next year, which is cool. The episode was written by Eric Olsen and by Sam Ernst, uh, who's written two episodes of Daredevil this season. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode? Sure. Matt Murdock's already shaky world tilts further when he learns the truth about his parenthood. Struggling, knowing that both Sister Maggie and Father Lantham had been hiding the truth from him, Matt goes to an abandoned boxing club to reconnect with his past. Meanwhile, Raina Deem tells his superiors Tammy Hatley and Agent Wynn about Wilson Fisk and Special Agent Poindexter, but soon discovers how deep Fisk's influence runs. With a bullet to the throat and head of Agent Wynn, Hatley proves her loyalty. As Felix Manning comes to clean up, he leaves Nadine no choice but to work for Fisk. 
Elsewhere, Karen Page runs for her life after a provoking Fisk, and Foggy Nelson and his family are threatened with prison by Felix, unless he publicly apologises for speaking out against Fisk. As a bright new day dawns at the FBI, Nadim and his new partner Dex put into play Kingpin's new plan to draw out Daredevil. After quietly arresting several gang leaders, they are brought to Fisk, who offers to protect them from FBI charges in exchange for payment. But as they wait for the devil of Hell's Kitchen, they wait and wait and wait. As following an epiphany at Fogwell's gym, Matt Murdock doesn't show and refuses to rise to Fisk's bait. Instead, Matt Murdock follows a different path that Fisk does not expect, as Matt goes to the hotel to discover his dirty little secrets. While there, he overhears FBI agents loyal to Fisk that they now know exactly where Karen Page is hiding and who is helping her. And as we mentioned, this is an episode called Revelations. Let's begin where last episode left off. Chris, we have the revelation of Mother Maggie, not Sister Maggie. Uh, So our case note number one, Matt confronts Lantham about this. Yeah, so I'm with Lantham here. So this is a bit of a weird one. I feel for Matt. Matt has been lied to, okay? But we get the... Matt goes to the bar. We, we see Lantham with his collar off, hustling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was really cool. Pretty sure that's a sin, but anyway, let's just jump over this one for a second. He's downing the whiskey. <laughs> he doesn't take the money, remember? He lets the guy but go, that's just then the he realises he's yeah, a priest. Yeah, just when he realises he's a priest. What happened to all the other guys, the queue the, the of men going, oh, we've just been beaten. Anyway, um, Lantham recounts how Maggie met Jack Murdoch. We get the backstory of what happened with Maggie and how mm-hmm. it, everything came to pass. It's a really well done uh, view on postnatal postpartum depression um, mm-hmm. uh, and the, their t- a take, if you will. I was happy to see this take on it um, and how they, they, they handled it very well, in my opinion. Yeah. What I wasn't happy with with this scene was Matt's overinflated self-opinion. Like he's so annoyed at Lantham for... Mm-hmm. Not telling him, but Lantham explains. And then he has this, that kind of sarky, I would have slapped him, kind of pat on the shoulder about being a lying, sinful man. And I'm like, no, he just told you why. And I know you're hurt, but there's obviously reasons. I don't like where Matt is going and what he is becoming in this. And they're, they're going out of their way to very much show you this darker side of Matt, this unfriendly, mm. this the, not the Matt we were introduced to in season one. Yeah, and unsurprisingly, I'm probably going to take the other side of this discussion here. Um, Matt Murdock, for me, what he's gone through is pretty tough. Um, this moment of realisation that where he finds out that Maggie is his mother, is just, it's absolutely destroyed him. But what I love what they've done here is have him confront Lantham, not Maggie. It's not Maggie that he goes after. It's not her for not telling him. It's the fact that he has been left on his own for years in an orphanage with his mother just around the block, basically. And Father Lantham is the closest family that he's had. And over the years, even though Lantham knew all about his mother's life, over the years, Matt has confided in him all of everything. And all Lantham had to say was, actually, your mother is still alive, but she left you 
now you two sit in a room and sort it out. And he never did it over the course of his entire life. I totally understand why Matt feels betrayed by him. And all of the lessons that Lantham has taught him over the years do feel like they're not real to Matt now. So all of the solace that he took from the church and from Father Lantham feels to Matt like it has all been a lie. So I can kind of understand why this is another one of the steps in the ladder that Matt has taken to get out of the depression that he's had for years. It's another one of those steps being pulled away from him. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I'm a bit column A, column B here. I think uh, you definitely understand why Matt Murdoch is raw um, and why he's angry at Father Lantham, who has, um, you know, yeah, been his his family and knew everything but didn't say anything. Um, but I do think that's projection for his anger at his mum and mm-hmm. his father, who, you know, he can't. Uh, approach. He can't confront his dad about this because his dad is dead. And I think that's what makes the, the whole Fogwell's gym element so good because that is that conversation in his head, uh, with his dead father. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, I agree, uh, with, with Chris that Lantham gets the full force of Matt's sort of, uh, anger and upset at this moment. Uh, let alone the fact that he is going down a a dark path here as well. And I think the fact that Lantham explains why, you know, it's not his place as such to have said this. Um, and maybe he was asked not to. Um, oh, he was. He was so, definitely asked not to. I, mean, I get that. I think the point is that so Matt I, feels that he can't approach Maggie because Maggie's not even a part of his family. Maggie's someone that took care of him when he was in an orphanage and is now taking care of his wounds now that he's Daredevil. Lantham is the one that has taken the place of his family, even though his mother could have done that for years. So he feels like he's the one to take out this on because Lantham stepped in when he actually didn't need to. He should never have stepped into the place of his mother because his mother was there. But I still think that, um, yeah, Mass is massively going after Lantham and Lantham ultimately doesn't deserve this um, in full. And he needs time. Absolutely. I'm sure it will all become rosy again. But uh, I do think that, uh, yeah, Matt's issue is with his dad and with his mum for doing that, not the person who looked after him on the back of their abandonment of him for various different reasons. Mm-hmm. But I understand why Matt is like that. Absolutely. That's why I said column A, column B. Yeah. You know, it is good because it has that messiness about Absolutely. it, which ultimately is revealed in this confrontation with Latin. And so. what I love about it as well is that he's the one that reveals it to Maggie. It's not Matt. And he reveals it in just two words. Matt knows. Yeah. And we just see Maggie completely breaking down. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about Maggie later on and her reaction to it in in one of our later points. But that's something that I like about how they've taken this approach to it with Matt confronting Latham, who's been the one that's been giving him guidance for so many years. And then he's the one that tells Maggie that that Matt knows. Um, I kind of like the distance that Matt puts between himself and that situation. I think it's just a really good moment for the show. I, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. Um, I want to ask a question for view, uh, viewers or fellow defenders who have not read Born Again, who do not understand the backstory, that this would have come as a surprise, as shock to them. For those of us who have, we knew this was coming at some yeah. point, uh, or well, we assumed because of we knew who the character was, etc. I knew this was coming. I, I was well aware that they were going to pull this at the reveal at some point. I'm still happy mm-hmm. of how they did it. It feels well constructed, well written in terms of the actual yeah. style of the reveal, the, the the way that they're choosing it to go. 
they could have gone down the route of exactly what happened in the comic books and things like that. But I think this is a better, more organic reveal for the way the show is heading. Yeah, I'm really glad they used the comic book origin from Original Sin, not from uh, Born Again, because the Born Again one, as we spoke about last week, John, um, the Born Again reveal is Matt says, are you my mother? And she says no. And then there's a panel that says that Matt knows from her heartbeat that she's lying. And that's it. That's the only thing that we get in Born Again, that Matt finds out that that's his mother from a heartbeat. Whereas Original Sin is the concept of why she left, yes. which is what is the more important story to talk about. It's not that she is his mother, it's that she's his mother and why has she left? And I think that's a much more interesting story, the exploration that we got in here. And just that flashback really to Matt's father and mother being really happy, having a child, and then her going through postnatal depression and not understanding it at all is a much more interesting story than was originally written by Frank Miller because the Frank Miller story was almost the 80s, oh my God, his mother, the nun, got knocked up when she was a nun yeah. and had a child. It's it's too 80s shocking to be a good story for a teacher. Yeah. No, that's good. So I think the exploration of postpartum depression uh, is quite interesting in the in the show. Oh, definitely. I mean, it, it, it's really good. I, I like how just that image of Jack coming in and the baby is left on its own on the table with Maggie not really knowing what to do, having that kind of distance, that alienation mm -hmm. um, and from the baby. Generally, I think probably childbirth is far from perfect. And I like how they capture it here in that time, maybe where it wasn't talked about as much. And maybe the role of husband, wife, or, or boyfriend, girlfriend, um, certainly with the context of Maggie b being a nun, um, you know, is it, very socially rigid um, at, at that time compared to today. Mm -hmm. So I, I really like yeah. that, how it was uh, drawn out. Um, but speaking of uh, structure and uh, rigidity, uh, Case Note 2, as um, it all falls apart for Ray, that um, FBI structure. We get a lot of reveals here, mm -hmm. which is good for an episode called Revelations. Um, <laughs> and I love this aspect of, of this episode, to be honest, because I, I thought it, it, it played with the fact that Wilson Fisk has got all these tentacles throughout the FBI in a really, really nice way. Mm -hmm. And I think in particular for Tammy Hatley, um, Nadim's boss, I, I just thought it was really nicely done because you do feel a lot of sympathy for her. Oh, yeah. Um, in, in this moment, even though you know, yeah, she's just um, redecorated her house in a lovely shade of red. Um, there is significant amounts of plastic sheeting being put in. And I mean, the great thing about that scene was... You know, they walk into her house with all this plastic sheeting up for a kill. And you are thinking, oh, she's redecorating the house. You know, she talks about the, the contractors. And then it happens and you go, yes, it is obvious. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's that reveal is obvious given they've just walked into a um, forensically clean room in order for a murder to take place, whether it was Nadim or, uh, as it turns out, Agent Wynn. But you weren't thinking that. You were thinking that she actually did have the decorators in um, for for her house. And to me, it's kind of like, you know, she's been hiding in plain sight there in the same way that this whole setup right at the start was. But I, I really, um, I enjoyed... 
uh, how that played out. And there are a lot of moments, um, I think in particular in the lift as they go to, to get Wilson Fisk, which is really, really nice. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that did completely throw me off though was that Tammy's daughter says hello to her. Um, in the house as Ray comes in. So I was not expecting a kill to happen when you yeah. hear the child's voice in the house. That is true. That, that is true. And I do think that it was a shocking kill. Um, as Ray has just revealed everything that's going on, everything he knows, what he knows about Dex, what he knows about Kingpin to Agent Wynn, then hands over his gun because he's being told he's going on suspension and happily goes, if that's all I get out of this, that's fine. you know. And then his gun is lifted and shot through the throat, shot through the head. Agent Wynn is no longer there. Um, I think that's a shocking moment in the episode. We have thrown out since episode one that someone in the FBI must be in Kingpin's pocket. I think, John, you even threw it out last episode that Tammy might be the one that's giving him all the information. The way this is handled in this episode is so different than what I thought. I thought there was just somebody that's, you know, in the pocket of Fisk getting a million quid to do whatever, to provide whatever information he he wants. It's not that. He's got information on many, many people in the FBI in various positions. Uh, we get the reveal as Ray is pulled into this group as he walks into the room of how many people in the FBI are in Fisk's pocket. And it's quite shocking. Two things. The the first thing I want to bring up to the count is uh, on the gun, right? When Hartley shoots uh, the internal affairs guy, she's wearing gloves. So I'm a bit on mm-hmm. Ray to kind of go, you should have noticed that your boss was putting on plastic gloves at one point. Like that yeah. was that for me, that's like she wasn't wearing them earlier. She wasn't. That was something I spotted the second time round. Yeah. Um, were the continuity at some point she puts on gloves. And you're right. Then the the question both from Nadim and Agent Wynn is like, uh, what yeah. are you doing? Unless she was doing it under the table or something, you know. I feel like his attention is pretty distracted by the fact that he's revealing about his partner or his, you know, one of his best friends in the FBI is working for Fisk. You know, he's the one that is Daredevil. I think he's revealing all of this to the internal affairs guy. Um, yeah, possibly he was just distracted and missed it while he was focusing on Wynn and telling him the story, I suppose. But um yeah. yeah, and I, I, the other thing is, as as you said, we see the infiltration of the FBI is a lot bigger than we're ever led to believe, or we even think up to this point. Mm-hmm. It's good to remember it's not just that team; it's potentially the infiltration has gone beyond outside, so it could be all the way up to Dex's old team, the SWAT team, all the way up to the, some of the highest members. He really is becoming the code name Kingpin. Yeah, I, that reveal was really nicely done there, mm-hmm. um, for sure. And I think um, it's not just the FBI, because you have that moment in the lift where Nadim says, why didn't you try and get out and run? Um, you know, go to Homeland Security, go to any other uh, government agency. Um, and she's like, no, you we're out of our league. You know, she makes this point that we're out of our league. He knows everything he's got influence everywhere including homeland security so that is there is a suggestion as well it's not just within the fbi uh, which would make sense as well yeah yeah because tammy's story itself is quite heartbreaking when we hear why she's working for fisk that whole thing of ray going oh was it money you know was it influence is it power is that how you got into your position and tammy's kind of going no no you don't understand i used to have two children i used to be married i only have one child now he arranged what looked like a hit and run on one child and I had to divorce my husband to keep him even moderately safe. 
but I still have another child. You know, uh, he will get to your children. She calls out the fact that Ray also has a child, so he needs to be really careful here and needs to tread very carefully. Um, she calls out the influence of Fisk as well in Ray's life. That whole story from episode one yeah, yeah. that we all thought was just revealing how nice a guy Ray was. Um, well, actually, that was all caused by by Fisk. He pulled the medical insurance on his sister-in-law who got cancer. Um, and that's how Ray got involved and got into the pocket of Fisk because he was putting pressure on Ray from a monetary perspective. And now, a year later, when he's the one that Fisk comes to and says... I want to start to start a deal that's been in the planning by Fisk for a year. It's fantastic. I love how deep and how elaborate the scheme is. We may have been calling it out for eight episodes that Fisk has someone in his pocket, but I didn't expect how elaborate his scheme was going to be. I really like Tammy Hatley's uh, response here immediately after she's killed Win of look what you've made me do. You've brought this into my house and she kind of throws it back on him and you, you kind of do just for a moment go, uh, hang on, you're the one who's in cahoots with Fisk. And then you have that moment in the lift where that kind of makes a bit more sense, where she talks about the fact that she's, as you say, she's divorced her um, husband. One of the kids has presumably been hit by um, a, a Fisk ordered hit and run, you know, and you just kind of in that moment kind of feel sorry for her. And mm -hmm. you realize that actually in some ways she may have been protecting Nadim by saying, you're not getting this promotion and that you're not going to do all of this. You know, she gives out to him for going to Poindexter's apartment. Mm -hmm. why, why did you do that? You should have come to me then. And I would have told you not to bother. You know, the, the, there is a protective element. I'm not, she's not totally faultless. Absolutely. But it's a really interesting take on her character and makes it way more complex than simply this this person planted in the FBI. And I think that is really excellent, excellent writing here. Yeah. Um, I love the fact as well that Wilson Fisk makes uh, Nadim take off the ankle uh, bracelet, the tracker. Um, that is just proper degrading Nadim here in that moment. Yeah. I am the Kingpin. Yeah. Codename Kingpin. It's just, it's just really, really cool. I absolutely loved all of this. Although just quickly going back to the kid in the house, I kind of agree. That's kind of slightly annoyed me on it now because unless the kid had her music player up to max with her beats on that, she couldn't hear the gunshot. She mm. leaves. She, does she? Okay. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't notice that. Now I think she's saying goodbye to her mother okay. as, as they come in. But I think that's perfect. What, what kind of puts you off? I think is, is yes, that. exactly. Yeah, you hear the child in in the house saying. I think she's just saying goodbye to her mom. But you hear her in the house and you're going, okay, that nothing can happen here. But that's just great writing. Then yeah, you yeah. Know? Okay. Also, perfect. just to layer into it as well, Nadine calls out that he's known Tammy for ten years. How can she have turned? I love that they layered in earlier on in the season that, yes, he may know her for 10 years, but she doesn't talk about her personal life very often with Ray uh, because he asks her for one piece of advice about his family and feels like that's pushing too far in their friendship just to ask for one piece of advice. It's a nice little layering that she wouldn't have talked to him about what happened in their yeah, relationship and yeah. what happened with her kids and that he may not know that she has that she had two kids until this point to reveal. Nice little touch there. Uh, one final thing about this point, um, Dex is returned to his position in the FBI by Tammy as well now that Ray's on board, Dex is now back in his position in the FBI. And that's that cover story about the lawyer. Um, that story is confirmed by Tammy. She says to the department, thanks for paying for the lawyer and getting him his job back. Interestingly, because we thought this might have been just 
Ray's yeah. cover story to get yeah to get into Dex's apartment uh, when we talked about the last episode. But it seems like either Tammy's going with that cover story that Ray arranged, or it actually was a true story and Ray was just using that opportunity to get into. Uh, Dexter's apartment, but just an interesting. Yeah, I, I love where Poindexter kind of thanks everyone, and he turns to Nadim and just says, "Yeah, I, I've got a lot to thank uh, Nadim for, and to pay him back for everything he's done to me." Mm. Just so nice. I love the play on words, uh, the threat behind it, um, and certainly, you know, the threat of Poindexter at Nadim's house at each point, you know, making Nadim feel absolutely uncomfortable and on edge. Uh, so that was just a really nice interaction between these two agents, yeah. for sure. And yeah, it is really interesting, isn't it? Dex does seem to be much more in the pocket of Fisk in this episode. It feels like he has now really accepted his position as kind of third in command uh, in the Kingpin army in this episode. We see a bit more of him later on in the episode. But I think it's time to get on to case note number three, which is kind of a combined case note because do need to talk about what else is going on and where else Fisk's fingers are running in this episode. Uh, case note number three, Karen's going on the run and Foggy gets the Frighteners. Yeah, as I say, I, I think this is really interesting in that everyone is performing to the Wilson Fisk uh, script, to, you know, the production that is being generated in New York City by Wilson Fisk from his penthouse with Felix Manning, you mm-hmm. know, and Karen heading on the run is absolutely one of those. She realized that that provocation that she uh, took to Wilson Fisk is probably in hindsight the wrong move, even though she was doing it obviously to try and draw out that crazy violent side of, of Wilson Fisk. Mm-hmm. And then we have Foggy and his family were in the tradition of Wilson Fisk. He's gone after his family. He, he doesn't need to touch um publicly foggy nelson even though he's hiding in plain sight he will just simply go after his family and his family's business so i I really like um how they're all sort of sort of playing to wilson fisk's tune and and i think it's interesting so so is dex so is nadim in here and i think one of the great things about this episode is that they all fall into line a bit but with the exception of Matt Murdock. But mm-hmm. we'll, I suppose we'll come to that later. Yeah. What I really enjoyed about this also with, with Foggy's piece and his family, what I really enjoyed about, enjoy about it is that this was something else that Fisk was working on a year ago and completely orchestrated by, by Fisk in this case, where we had the story about Ray and his sister's uh, insurance falling through when she fell ill. This was all orchestrated by Fisk. What you believe from the story from his brother is that Fisk made sure that the suppliers that were supplying the business of uh, Foggy's family, that they pulled out and stopped giving them anything until his family took a loan from Redline, um, who are Fisk's company. So all the time since Fisk has been sent to prison by Nelson and Murdoch, basically back in season one, he's been working on ways to get back at them. He's had this plan in his pocket just in case anything was done by Foggy. Like that's really really elaborate and really really interesting when this slowly came out i was like oh wow you're really starting to see in this episode in revelations Mm -hmm. um, aside from the biblical context (laughs) there's very much the revelation that fisk has been planning this yeah in some form or the other he's been moving things around moving his chess pieces his pawns for well over a year and a half nearly like to, to get the plan in place for Red, to in order to set up Lion, Red Lion, 
in order then to stop the suppliers, to threaten the suppliers, mm-hmm. so that it gets so bad, you've still got to do a year to six months of work. And then that's when Red Lion can step in. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's it's incredible. Um, and it's, yeah, but we still get one of the best lines of this episode in here where Mother Nelson turns around to Marcy and goes, have you thought about freezing your eggs? You know, and it's never too late. <laughs> oh, God. That is Proper. such an Irish mommy thing to yeah. do. You're not looking after yourself. We're going to have these grandkids. Come on, like, we're an Irish family. Here, freeze <laughs> these eggs keep, so they're ready. I, I don't know whether the actual phrase itself is an Irish mommy thing, but definitely stepping over the boundaries in the relationship of your of your son is absolutely <laughs> yes. an Irish mommy thing to do. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Irish mommy for the 21st century. Yeah, and just one other thing about the Karen piece, she does go to warn Matt that Wilson Fisk knows exactly who he is, um, She, which is the information that she found out when she confronted Fisk last episode. Maggie explains to Karen the reason why Matt is gone and also actually shares with her that she is his mother. Um, quite interesting that she trusts Karen that quickly and that instantly um, after only meeting her once in the past and never having told Matt about this. But I like the fact that she confides in, in her that the real reason behind it isn't just because of the postnatal depression, it's because... At the time, she had no idea what it was, and nobody else knew how to explain to her that these feelings are normal and that she can get some help because it wasn't talked about. I like that she's going through that discussion with Karen because it's a tough thing. You know, she did have a way out, and the way out was to kind of hide herself away in the church, and that's the path she took. Whereas, hopefully, if this had happened to her in present day, there would have been a support system around her that could have actually helped her. Um, It's just an interesting discussion to have. Oh, definitely. I, I think that's what we're alluding to in case note one. And I think it gets drawn out here by uh, Sister Maggie as well. So I think this conversation between Maggie and Karen is is just really well written. Um, and it's approached in a just a different way than what you would expect, you know. And I, I think that link to um, Sister Maggie then taking that life of nunnery is, is one of those things that would, would, would have happened. Yeah. And I, I think it's really kind of a realistic way as how this would have gone down actually and so i i liked it a lot this scene uh, and how uh, the writers have approached this theme mm-hmm. absolutely and two questions i'm left with at the end of case note number three one is does this make karen stay with sister maggie instead of running away and going back to her family even though she's been told not to go back to her family does this make her stay with maggie and, and kind of take care of her and for foggy we're left with this concept of He's being pushed by Marcy to now take the next step and actually run for DA. But does this make him roll back? Does this make him actually go, hang on a second, my family are more important than uh, actually taking the role of DA? That does feel like more of a foggy thing to do. But maybe Fisk might want the new DA in his pocket for real. Yeah. So what's going to happen with those with those two? It's an interesting thing coming out at this point. Yeah. And just for, for my final note on this, I feel really bad for Deborah Ann Wall, especially in this episode, because they just, for a lot of the last episodes, they've just put so much kind of red-eyed makeup to make her look like that she's stressed and crying. And she never just like, I think she gets like two episodes where she looks adorable and she's not, hasn't looked like she's been crying or anything. I'm like, oh, poor Karen, poor Deborah. <laughs> I think I'm so happy for what they've done with her this season as well, though. Um, as we mentioned before, this season has really given... Deborah Ann Wall, some really, really great scenes. That moment Definitely. of Fisk last episode. This episode here, having 
this moment with Maggie, I think, is is really good as well for her to actually show that she has so much range and so much ability as an actress that just hasn't been used properly in some of the previous episodes. And I know you guys had your problems with Karen in season two and in season one. I think this season that the character of Karen has really been allowed to grow and allowed to have some great moments this season. From my my perspective, I, I never had a problem with Karen. I just knew how juicy the storyline could be with her. And I wanted to see that. It felt weird that you had this fictional potential uh, from this character, from the source material, and it wasn't being explored and being interwoven into uh, the larger Daredevil picture. And I think here we, we really get a sense of who Karen is. I think we really get a sense of who Foggy is. We've really got a sense of who Raina Deem is in this episode, and even Tammy Hatley. And I, I think this is one of the strengths of the writing from this series, is that it pulls meaning from all the characters here mm-hmm. um, and really deepens everything uh, around uh, the central character of Matt Murdock and Daredevil. So, yeah, it's really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to reserve judgment until the end of the, the season, though, and that will that'll be my final weather I'm happy with what they've done to the character of Karen. Speaking of, from one thing that we saw in season one, moving it all the way back and returning there, case note number four, Fogwell's gym. Mm-hmm. Yes, Matt returns to his one true home, Fogwell's gym, and his ability to punch away his anger. Uh, we've seen this quite a bit during the season, uh, Matt just punching and punching as he's trying mm-hmm. to deal with his issues. Um, but this time he's accompanied by another spectral spirit, the return of Jack Murdoch from season one. Uh, great to see Jack back and this idea that we had all through the season of Fisk being in Matt's mind and pushing him along. Now we have his father actually speaking to him about the situation with his mother. Um, Really interesting having this dialogue between the two of them. And I like how it's played as well, that we don't actually hear what Jack was saying. This isn't an actual flashback to Matt talking to him or anything like that when he was actually alive. We hear Jack going things like, well, maybe I did it because of this, and maybe I did it because of that, because these are all the thoughts in Matt's head. It's a nice way to have a dialogue about this. Yeah, I I think um, this is really... Um, a nice throwback. I, I like also the fact that in his conversations with his dad uh, in spectral form, there's an epiphany here for, for Matt Murdock that he is and has been the lamb to the slaughter in Wilson Fisk's plans, that ultimately there is this moment that um, he questions whether he should take this bait that he knows is being laid for him here by um by Wilson Fisk through Raina Deem. And I really like that because it, it, it kind of has come from a place where he's exploring who he is, why he's there, and all of a sudden um he takes a different path from uh, both that spectral form of his dad, but we also then get Wilson Fisk as well mm-hmm. returning. Um and I, I just thought it was really nicely played. There's there's two things here that I really enjoyed as well. I loved him wrapping his hands up in the rope to hit the punch back with in the gym. I thought that was really, like, cool. Um, the the rope boxing gloves. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, no, I believe that uh, Jack actually mentioned to him, I haven't seen you using the Muay Thai ropes because it, it's basically more violent than it's mm-hmm. like adding, like, you know, when people used to wrap their gloves with barbed wire and things like right. that. It's that type <laughs> uh, of... It's, it's thankfully kind of, not. Okay, yes, yeah, true. Good thing you don't. As you punch, it kind of tears skin and things like that. Right. So this yeah. is a showing 
this, which they don't really call it out, which is quite strange, but you see the damage he does when he kind of starts punching the imaginary fist. But it's this just one thing of wrapping his fist actually means he's willing to become more violent. He's will mm-hmm. he's he's descending into that violence. Yeah, and he specifically says that the reason he's doing it is because he can't beat Dex Devil. He can't beat Dex in the Daredevil suit because he's stronger than him. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's the other point that I really, really enjoyed um, in, in these scenes at Fogwell's was um, him beating Fisk up um, and breaking his neck. But then it just goes to this calm image of Matt sat down having thought about doing this. And it, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it leans into your point of him becoming darker and more violent. And it's even with Mrs. Shelby where when she says, are you going to kill me? He goes, no, not yet. And that's not something you necessarily expect from Daredevil. So oh, right. I did not notice that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Right. So it, this darker place is excellent. And I think just the way it's captured in that scene where he is thrashing at Wilson Fisk, mm-hmm. you know, he breaks his leg, brings him to the floor and then snaps his neck and then it just as the snap occurs it just pans back to matt sat on the the gym bench mm-hmm. uh thinking about it and that's awesome it was really nice it kind of it reminded me slightly of some of the scenes in harry potter weirdly where you have uh harry and voldemort kind of merging together and then it sort of snaps back to just one of them being on their own having this going through their head so i thought it was really uh nicely done actually mm-hmm. yeah i i i like this overall matt's coping mechanism the visual treatment of it mm-hmm. is very nice yeah and i have to say it's a great way to keep these two characters connected remember Actually, I only realized it directly after watching this episode. Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio have not had any screen time together in this entire season. They've not been in the same room as their real characters. It's only through this fisk on Matt's shoulder, this devil on the devil's shoulder. That's the only time they've actually had scenes together. So we're nine episodes into the season now, and our two main stars haven't actually been in the same room in the real world, I suppose. So what a great way to have the two of them playing off each other and actually have some moments together that to have this spectral version of Fisk, it's a really cool idea. And to have, you know, this Matt Wish fulfillment. So if you wanted to see Daredevil go full bore and kill Fisk, you've actually just seen it in this episode. Not real, but at least you get the moment of it, you know? That's a perfect segue over into case note number five, which is Fisk is out to get Daredevil to kill his rivals, mm-hmm. all of them. The overall culmination of what I thought was absolutely fantastic Um Ray is brought into the fold, forced into the fold, and he's forced to call Matt, or mm. the man of black as he knows him, to basically set him up. They get to the location where Fisk is transported out to, mm-hmm. and it turns out to be a restaurant, a really fancy, nice restaurant. It's one of these weird New York ones where it was a bank and now it's a restaurant, right. because it's they, they're in the bank vault, sitting at a table. Yeah, I do really like this. And is this supposed to be the five other heads of the families in Manhattan or in New York? Because some of them seem a lot younger than you would think would be a head of the family, but maybe they're just a very violent family and they don't survive very long in those in those groups. But they are definitely heads of some other criminal organizations uh, within the yeah, city. I, I think there's a lot of churn in the heads Possibly. Of, uh, of crime families. Yeah. Possibly. Just a question. Is that the, the, the Italian lady? That's not the same Italian lady from Luke Cage. I don't think so. It doesn't look like her no, to me. No, it doesn't, does it? So I'm starting to think these are like lower level gangs, maybe, because 
the gentleman who was running the chop shop. I've never seen him before. The older gentleman who was super rich, who was out running and they arrest him. Haven't seen him. But the other ones, I'm like, no, that they don't look like the heads that we've seen previously. If you want to kind of, if you see where I'm going with this. So I'm thinking maybe these are lower level gangs, but Fisk won 20%. So they're obviously doing stuff. Mm-hmm. I think they're business pillars in yeah. New York who are aware of the criminal connections that Fisk has and are aware of what he can do for them as well. Um, I do like that Star is the one that refuses it, uh, believing that actually this is all just a setup of Wilson Fisk, who's now in the pocket of the FBI, when actually the truth is quite the opposite of that, that the FBI are in the pocket of Fisk. Um, and the proof comes when we see, as has been called on the internet now, because I am actually reading some stuff on the internet finally about Daredevil, uh, Dexdevil comes back. So we have we have Poindexter in the Daredevil suit, uh, killing Star with the billy club uh, from across the room. How cool was that? Yeah. Another unexpected moment in the episode. That was awesome. Um First of all, just having Dex doing cosplay is always good. Mm-hmm. Not only the kill with the Billy Club, it's just what happens next, where he face plants on the table and Wilson Fisk continues to kind of say, well, now it's gone up to 25%. And as the blood just spreads across the white tablecloth, uh-huh. it's like, okay, that literally was a rabbit caught in the headlights um and unfortunately is now roadkill uh you know is no more this is i just thought it was really good how wilson fist just carries on and says now it's 25 percent and it's kind of like okay <laughs> we'll pay up yeah, yeah. and you know? one of the other members of the family at the table goes well the only question i have i guess is where do i leave the money because they're all in now you know yeah um what I was wondering is, what was the actual plan? How was this supposed to play out? We had Dex dressed up as the Daredevil. We had the idea that this was supposed to be a meeting of heads being dropped by Ray to Matt. If Matt had arrived at this location, would Fisk have killed all the other heads of the families and Matt and left him there as putting the blame on Daredevil for killing heads of the families? What was the actual plan? Because the whole story of all of the heads of the families and this type of crime meetup was given to Matt as the impetus for, to make him come to the restaurant rather than go to the hotel. I, I, I think it was just more kill two birds with one stone. Right. Literally. Actually have the meeting and... Kill the man in black. Kill him right. right. Uh, because that's what, what would drive drive him there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, what I, well, that's what I assumed. I like that Matt wasn't stupid enough to go. Yeah, me I know too. It, well, it would have ended the season early to a degree. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I think Matt's probably ready for a fight now. Um, what I do like about it is this is the cherry on top of this episode because what we've just found out for the other 40 minutes of this episode is that Fisk is really intelligent, has made plans that nobody else could figure out except Matt. He's on the other end of a phone and goes, mm, actually, that's what he wants me to do. I have another thing that I should be doing. It's showing but, that he is the true antagonist for Matt Murdock. Absolutely. But, and I think we've, we've seen Matt Murdock come to that realization much sooner, um, than say Karen or Foggy. Yeah. Um, I think in particular with how it went down with, um, Melvin Potter, um, that whole thing. And I think it's nice that, it comes as well, not only from that, but from effectively his dad saying, you're not as stupid as that to mm-hmm. take the bait. Um, and I, I really like that connection back to Matt hurting uh, because of what he's just found out about his mum and dad mm-hmm. uh, and also how that burning um, of his past, in a sense, at the moment 
uh, is fueling uh, how he's approaching Wilson Fisk again mm-hmm. uh, to keep him um, one step ahead of of Fisk, which he now knows he has to do because of what happened with Melvin Potter. So this is really cool, I think. It is. It, it makes them kind of equals. Uh, it, it makes them, as you say, the, the, the true protagonist antagonist. So uh, really nicely done, I think. Um, and I do have to say, just the look on Vincent D'Onofrio's face as he realizes that Matt Murdock, the man in black, Devil of Hell's Kitchen is not turning up for the party here. Mm-hmm. It is really nice that frustration, that anger that he has somehow failed. Um, you know, and you do feel a bit for Nadim here. And he's like, well, I said just what you wanted me to say. He's not shown, you yeah. know, because you have that line from Wilson Fisk where he says, he will know it's a trap, but he will come anyway. And all of a sudden, he is no longer playing to Wilson Fisk's analysis of him. And that moment of anger and frustration, you wonder, is there a slightly deep set of worry in the eyes of Wilson Fisk that he's not playing ball? So I love that. I really, really like that. Yeah. um, So Matt is no longer playing ball. He doesn't want to go to dinner, but instead he's going to church. Or at least that's what we think he's going to do, because at the end of this episode... Essentially, he overhears the two FBI agents converging the cops onto the church where Karen has been spotted. Mm-hmm. Yes. So nice cliffhanger there. So uh, nice placement where where Matt is as well to be able to find that information out. So so we will have a meeting now finally of uh, of Matt and Karen. Uh, hopefully, where Matt will save her and his mom uh, and resolve their issues in the next episode. Um, I think that's it for our top five case notes. Um, only note I had actually. It kind of ties in very well with this point here with the with the Fisk and, and Matt moment. We haven't seen Matt's world on fire throughout the season. Uh, Chris, I know you mentioned earlier on in the season that they kind of had replaced that a little bit. What I kind of feel is that they've taken it out completely. And I do think that Matt's actually using a bit more superpowers than is being shown on screen. Um, in the past, they would have relied on something like using his world on fire to show that he's reading people's minds, reading their heartbeats, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm wondering if that conversation that he has on the phone with Dex is enough for him to hear something in Dex's voice that betrays that that meeting wasn't real from Fisk. And we just didn't get it because they didn't show us the world yeah. on fire. They didn't show us that he is able to hear something in the heartbeat. Uh, Ray is very clear that he that he said exactly what Kingpin told him to say, but Matt didn't come. He is pointing out that, you know, maybe there is something there that we've missed. Yeah, or even when he feels the electric current on on the floor Mm -hmm. in Fisk's uh, dressing room. Mm -hmm. Like, so I'm in agreement with you here. They've amped up his powers, but they haven't amped it in the way of World on Fire. They've amped it with the slight different camera usage, the slightly out of focus... And then it was a high-pitched noise. So I did enjoy that. When he felt the electric current, it focused in on his fingertips. Mm -hmm. uh, And it did this kind of juttering shake. But uh, the centered was in focus. Absolutely. Um, And I also have to give huge credit to Charlie Cox for selling it. Because he's doing such a great job with just the facial expressions that he has. We talked about the moment last episode where he overheard Maggie. And the reaction from him is just fantastic and he really does sell these moments when he's using these powers so he sells being blind which i think is still the hardest thing beyond that which is still when he was in the gym mm-hmm. i was like oh wow he, he 
that that one scene where he's just standing looking forward and you're like yeah he, it's he's a blind man he he still walks around not looking at what he's touching but able to pick it up in per, his peripheral view absolutely mm. loved it i personally want to thank jennifer lynch on this one because i think this you see a bit more usage of his powers mm-hmm. uh, through this kind of directorial lens whatever way she's decided to kind of frame it. So I think the electric current touch, I think, was good. But I think you're right. They should have shown him. They should show him being able to hear the distinct difference in people's voices and kind of kind of know more. I, I think they'll need to explore that more. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, I actually just wanted to point it out um, rather than say that they should do it that way. Um because it feels like they would have lent into that in season one. They would have gone, this is a superhero show, so we've got to show him in with using his superhero powers. And I'm just wondering if it's just something that we're missing, because it is all there. It's all on screen. Um, but they're just not actually saying he's got the superpower. Yeah, I just don't think they're visualizing it. You know, they're not making that um, uh, special effects visualization of it <laughs> like they did in season one. Um, and... I think that kind of adds to it. I think, you know, again, a bit like in season one, they're, they're doing more of the soft focus. They're doing the, the, the sound effect rather than something visual yeah. to suggest that, um, yeah, his powers are ramping up, which I think is kind of subtle and, and nice. Pretty cool. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one final one for me, just to make sure, uh, if you do want to read the story of, uh, of, uh, Mother Maggie, um, or Sister Maggie, the mother of Daredevil, um, that is an original sin Daredevil. Uh, back from 2014 so uh, go and pick that up it's a really good story uh, have a check out and see what the actual storyline behind that from the comic books is i think we need to get on to defense guys chris do you want to take us off since you haven't been with us for an episode do you defend season three episode nine revelations uh i do defend it um i think derek derek you put it to me best off air where you said that this episode was very much bang revelation bang revelation bang revelation bang revelation mm-hmm and I think that's probably why it didn't 100% work for me, mm-hmm. which is, I know, a really weird thing because we, I've talked positively about the whole episode. Potentially, it was just the revelation after revelation. I, it didn't have time to fully sink in. I didn't doubt it was just very much bang, 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 bang. And I think if we had of the, these, all these revelations had have been spaced over two episodes, then I think it, it potentially might be in a bit more impactful for me. That being said, I was still very happy with what we were given in this episode. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was almost like they know where they want to go for the next four episodes and they hadn't yet hit these points and they don't want them in the next episodes or okay. they need to get there to get to the next episode. So they're just like, all right, we're going to put everything into this one hour. Even if this had an extra 10, 15 minutes on this episode, that potentially could have spaced it enough. Right. Um, so yes, I defend. Are you sure? Yes, I do. I enjoyed everything that we've talked about. I enjoyed every revelation. It was just too much, too quickly, too condensed. So if I, if I was doing a rating score like you, it would be a four out of a five because mm-hmm. it's, it's all the revelations should make it a five. Should be like, Oh, this is everything we wanted to know, but it was just too much and the pacing was off. So it pulls it down, but it, it's not a bad episode. So yes, I do defense, but I'm just slightly off. I don't know what it is about it, but yes, I, so I do defense. John, 
Do you defend this episode of Daredevil Season 3, Episode 9, Revelations? Yes, I do defend this episode of Daredevil um, Revelations. And I am going to probably completely disagree with everything you just said, Chris. That's that's why we have this podcast. Yes, exactly. Um, I give this five shades of red out of five. Wow. Um, I do think um, this was a really good episode of daredevil i like the nuclear option for the revelations i think we have been saying since episode one about the tentacles of wilson fisk and i think a slow release of revelations would have lost that impact as you would have moved along we knew it and so they gave it us all in one big nuclear option which i really liked and the thing is about that nuclear option for me was that it was nuanced um it really was nuanced you had an amazing portrayal of uh postnatal depression with sister maggie and the how that affected her life as much as uh matt murdoch's you had the interesting twist that i found with uh tammy hatley's uh character in that you know was she protecting Nadim? It seemed like she was. It, yeah. it felt like, you know, she is uh, caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh, there was sympathy there for that character. She wasn't just simply this Wilson Fisk drone that was doing his bidding. Yes, she was. But you, you really got the sense of the pressure points that were being applied by Wilson Fisk, by Felix Manning, uh, which I thought was really nice. Um, so... I, I thought this was a, a really good um, episode. And I, I liked then the overarching contrast that Matt Murdock no longer plays ball with Wilson Fisk. And you see that in the face of Wilson Fisk as he has this meeting with the crime gangs, whereas everyone else kind of looks like they're falling into line. Raina Deem is like absolutely... Uh, blackmailed into having to work for Fisk and, and partner with Dex. Karen is on the run, like Wilson Fisk would expect. Um, and so he's got his, his eyes watching for her. And then you have uh, Foggy Nelson, where the, the, the groundwork has been laid for compromising Foggy Nelson through his families and the family business. So yes, I absolutely defend this. Um, episode and the reason why i called it shades of red was because you know we did have agent wins uh red color scheme to tammy hartley's decorating and we also had the beautiful bloody tablecloths and face plant uh from one of the gang members um i thought they were kind of really visceral really um excellent depiction of, of just how violent wilson fisk is yes he keeps it calm and collected he is that white swan of grace but when you see the mask slip like he did with karen and here in terms of the getting dex devil to attack uh the the gang leader uh, i thought it was excellent really really nice you know he is the psychopath and as well a shout out to the fact that we get kingpin referenced for the first time here in this episode and i like how it's done through the code name kingpin used by the compromised fbi agent so mm -hmm. that that was a really nice touch as well so yeah definitely defend this episode of daredevil and importantly wilson fist didn't kill anybody in this episode <laughs> it's true yeah it was dex and hartley who killed people uh 
and not yep. even on an instruction from Wilson Fisk. You could have all the monitoring in the world and not one word was uttered by Wilson Fisk to say, kill those two people. They just know what he wants and carry it out without even a word from him. It's fascinating. Really, really good. Derek, on that note, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? Well, quite clearly by my comment there, I absolutely defend this episode. I'm definitely on the side of you guys. Another great episode in the series. We do top five points. We do our top five case notes for these episodes. Really, there's only two notes in this episode. One is Wilson Fisk is much smarter than you think he is. And the second note is, but Matt's smarter than Wilson Fisk thinks Matt is. Um, That's it. That's all that happens in this episode. But underneath it, the nuance, the layering, the storylines, the revelations are fantastic. Really, really well written. Really well brought to the screen by everybody involved in this episode. A really good episode. Loved it. Excellent. I think with that positive spin on how the FBI is a totally compromised organization (laughs) and Wilson Fisk is absolutely the head honcho, even though he's not, if it came down to the eyes of the law. On to our feedback. Mm -hmm. Yes. Fellow Defenders, if you want to leave any discussion points or comments about anything to do with Daredevil Season 3 or each of the individual episodes, uh, please head on over to our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Defenders TV Podcast. You can also send us an email at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or you can leave a voicemail. We've not had much voicemail so far for Daredevil Season 3, but you can leave up to 90 seconds of your own thoughts over on our website. Just head on over to DefendersTVPodcast.com and click on the right-hand side tab to leave 90 seconds of your thoughts. Yeah, we have one voicemail in the way, actually, um, for later on in the season, uh, (laughs) but it has already been left. And just to remind everybody, as John mentioned, we have got spoiler posts over on the Facebook group for the episodes that we've watched. As your fellow defenders, we're not watching ahead. We're watching, putting up our spoiler posts so that you can feed us back on the Facebook group. If you want to send any feedback in for anything for the rest of the season, any of the episodes we haven't watched from 10 to 13, uh, pop us over an email to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. We will be putting up the spoiler post, but they'll obviously be a lot later than potentially you've watched the episode. So just to make sure you're aware, that's why there's no spoiler posts for the later episodes, because we haven't seen them just yet. But John, do you want to kick us off with the first piece of feedback? Yes, we have some feedback from episode eight. Anya Leah says, On my part, I love the scene with Karen and Willie. Like two dueling swordmasters sparring against each other, displaying such elegance and true artistry while trying to get their combatant out of balance. Only these two are masters with words. Still, as everyone knows, words can be sharper than knives. At last, all cards are on the table. They both know. They both know their enemy knows. Where will they go from here? So, Karen risks her life. She's acting recklessly and close to suicidal in her ambition to take Fist down. In this way, she is reminiscing of a very close friend of hers. Foggy puts it so well when he tells her not to go mad at me. The thing is, Fisk is not only Matt Murdock's business. Fisk is the business of the entire Hell's Kitchen and very much the business of Karen Page. Fisk personally murdered her first mentor, Ben Urich, and he tried to have her killed as well. Mm -hmm. She is well within her right to try this, I think. It's not worse than a lot of things Matt has tried, and those two are more alike than any of them wants to acknowledge. And I just want to add, finally, I always enjoy watching Matt making use of his abilities for other things than fighting. I mean, the investigation in Dex's apartment made me quite happy. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Anya, for uh, your feedback. Yes, that 
that use of his nose to uh, smell the GRS and latex. Uh, it was a real nice touch there. And I, I liked how it contrasts with the fact that, you know, Nadim is having to get physical evidence or wants to get the physical evidence. He can't just follow his nose um, in that sense. Yeah, true bloodhound here from mm. Daredevil. And the safe cracking as well was really cool. It was a really cool moment in it. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree with you, Annie. This is really good points here that you have about Karen and why she's going after Fisk. You know, um, I think we used to kind of talk about Karen as a person that ran towards danger. Uh, this here is absolutely right. It's not only that Fisk is Matt's antagonist. She's absolutely set himself up as Karen's antagonist. And why we see her so broken in this episode is because everything that she pulled together to go up against Fisk has kind of finished. She has nothing else. It's all out on the table. She's shared everything. She's told him that she's the murderer. And now she knows that she's on his hit list. So, yeah, really love what she did and what happened in that episode. It makes total sense to me. We also had feedback from Robert Phillips, who says, Mummy Maggie! Unfortunately, we did actually have to edit a previous piece of feedback from Bob, so sorry about that. He goes on to say, And Fisk smiles at the killing of Julie. What a brutal shorthand just to show how evil he is. Place that alongside the primal man-hug of Dex, and you know the untrustable hole. <laughs> yes. That one scene of just Julie kind of getting the... And then just wrapping her up, I was like, oh, oh, okay. That's how that happens. I was that was a very brutal killing of, of Julie, wasn't it? It really yeah. was, wasn't it? Yeah, it's just like, walk this way, did it, did it, bang. Yeah, I'm going to get a serious phobia about decorators. I mean, I tell you what, I'm not getting anyone in to paint my house. <laughs> I'm doing it myself, I think. Because, you know, as they lay down the plastic sheeting, you're just going to be, like, looking around real nervous, like, going, uh, okay. Yeah. Absolutely. And speaking of which, Bob Phillips also sent in some feedback on this episode, episode nine. He says, cold open, shock upon shock, poor Ray, poor internal investigator. But yay for the plastic sheeting manufacturing industry of Hell's <laughs> Kitchen, which is really booming this season. It exactly. really is. Yeah, no. Hey, guys, we should just buy stocks in plastic sheeting. Yeah. Because and if Marvel TV teaches us anything, it's that gangs and thugs and everyone are very conscious about carpets and blood. So they, they're going to put some down and we might as well just get in on that. Yeah, it's really important. Really important. <laughs> also on episode nine, Jamie Alexander says, love the Maggie flashback. Now it all makes sense. Poor Ray, Fisk has gotten to everybody. Doesn't he need medical attention, though? I'm a little worried about him. I love how Fisk's reach and influence just goes deeper and deeper. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that Jamie makes when Ray actually shares the information with the investigator from uh, from the FBI. He pulls up his shirt and shows that he's been shot. And he goes, right, we're going to get your medical attention. We're going to call the ambulance in to help you out. And then he gets killed and off goes Ray on his day. And Ray basically just uses a shower to clean up the wound. And that's kind of it, isn't it? <laughs> Is that the medical attention he's going to get? It's just a shower? And he continues to bleed. As Dex mm -hmm. says, go change your shirt. Yeah. So is this going to be the slowest killing of an FBI agent that we've seen on screen? Is it just like he's going to die of blood loss in episode 13 because he hasn't gotten medical attention? No, no, it's going to be season five where he dies of gangrene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's just going to get a really awful scab. Yeah. And yeah. then pick at it slowly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have feedback from Tina Brown. Kingpin's gonna kingpin. <laughs> Just, I'm inserting myself here. All I could hear when she said this was Haters Gonna Hate by Taylor Swift. So it's just good. <laughs> Kingpin's gonna kingpin, pin, 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 pin. Anyway, moving on, Tina had to say, but Sister Maggie steals this episode so good. 
I think these Marvel shows tend to overdose on the parent issues. Fisk, Kilgrave, Mariah, Bushmaster, Jessica, Trish, Danny, Davos, just to name a few. But this time I, it felt earned, authentic, grounded and heartbreaking. Because this happens in the real world to real people, amazing storytelling that did not overplay its hand. It was just beautiful. Thank you for that feedback, Tina. And I agree with you. Actually, when you wrote about it there, I was like, Fisk, Kilgrave, Mariah, Bushmaster, Jessica, Trish, Danny, Davos... It's like, oh god, they all have parent yeah, issues. Absolutely. Yeah. I had not made that connection, but thank you. Um yeah, they do not over uh, overplay maybe. Overuse, not overdose, maybe. Over wow. something. Over something. Well now in fairness, if we take the entire history of comic books going back seventy, eighty years, I think you'll probably find that every single character has some form of parent issue. Right back to those days, you know, you can you can lay everybody out side by side and everybody has some form of parent issue. I think it's kind of shorthand for saying that history informs your future or informs how you are now. It's some kind of shorthand that's used, but particularly in comic books, nobody comes from a well adjusted family even superman's entire planet blew up and he's got step parents you know (laughs) interestingly except Stephen strange you don't really get to hear about his family it's his experience that's true i'm pretty sure there probably is an episode there's an issue where they were zombies (laughs) (laughs) that is true we don't ever hear about his parents but we do know that he's an a-hole. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he comes from possibly a well-adjusted family who sent him off to uh, yeah. medical school, and he's still an a-hole. Absolutely. <laughs> so maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's what Marvel Comics is actually telling you. If you come from a well-adjusted family, look what could happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> or, so basically, just remember, kill your parents or have some kind of massive parental <laughs> issues, and you too could be a superhero. Yeah. Forget about the radioactive spider bites or the magic usage or uh, going <clears throat> under experiments in prison. That's how you do it. You kill your parents, you go into prison, you get experiment- experimented on by a crazy doctor in prison, and you become Luke Cage. Or you become a supervillain. So, mm, yeah, oh, kind yeah. of toss-up mm, there. Mm, that's a tough <laughs> uh, one. Mike Brown also talks about this episode. He said, this is the episode where I started to agree with the criticism out there that Fisk is too omnipotent and omniscient. It's one thing to make it seem like our heroes have an impossible task ahead of them, but this just makes it feel unrealistic. Interesting perspective there, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose one of the things that we're not being told in these episodes so far, but you kind of can read into it, is that this is what Fisk has been doing in prison for all of the time since Matt put him away. He has been orchestrating his revenge, and all of this is about getting himself back to where he wanted to be in season one. As we mentioned, he's now going by the code name of Kingpin with all of the FBI agents. Remember back in season one when he was climbing the ladder in New York, where he was telling everybody, don't use my name in communications. As we said, people are now killing for him without him having to say a word because they know what he wants. I don't know about the criticism of being too omnipotent and omniscient. I just think he's a very smart guy who's planned all of this and we're seeing the fruits of it now. Yeah, I think, um, thanks, Mike. I think this is a really interesting perspective because there is part of me where, yeah, how far do you take this idea that someone is just totally in control? The great thing about this is that where that seems to happen with everyone else, this is the moment where the hiccup uh, for Wilson Fisk occurs where Daredevil doesn't take that bait. Uh, and, and so I think that shows the chink here uh, of his omnipotence or his, his, you know, Machiavellian type of planning and detail. I definitely get where you're coming from here. And I think it's a really interesting um, angle on Wilson Fisk for sure. Um, and I think 
it's good then that you have this slight chink appear in that by Daredevil not showing up to the gig. Mm-hmm. We also have feedback from Alyssa Lynn Moskwa, who went on to say, This episode hurt so much. I'm glad they merged both of Maggie's backstories, religious guilt and postpartum depression. It worked really well. Poor Matt keeps having existential crises. And his psychosis appears to have gotten worse since that revelation as he hallucinates his dad. I didn't expect Maggie to tell the truth to Karen, and she blames herself for Matt being messed up. Guilt appears to run in the family. I really felt for Ray in this episode and how uncomfortable he felt as Dex wormed his way into his family. Did not expect his boss to be in Fisk's pocket. That was a huge surprise. Thank you so much, Alyssa, for your feedback. Yeah, I'm, yeah, guilt, it's, it's a Catholic thing, I think is the only way to put it. <laughs> We're like, if you're Catholic, you've got guilt. You got guilt. It's yeah. like the, it's the new ad instead of you've got milk. <laughs> oh my God, that'd be amazing. Join the Catholic Church. You got guilt. <laughs> uh, as you've got some kind of moustache of guilt. <laughs> the moustache of guilt. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for that feedback, Alyssa. Alyssa, thanks so much for that piece of feedback. Uh, yeah, there's really, really good stuff going on in this episode. Um, and yeah, I think as everybody has mentioned, Maggie's scene in this episode where Lantham tells her that Matt is, uh, knows all about it. And then she falls screaming to the floor at the fact that her original sin has been exposed to Matt. It's really, really good. Yeah, thank you so much, Alyssa. We have some more feedback from Anya Leah uh, on episode nine. My five points from this episode. One, poor Karen running for her life. Two, poor Maggie suffering from postpartum depression, leaving her baby boy behind. Three, poor Foggy finding out Fisk has gotten to his family. Four, poor, poor Agent Nadim for obvious reasons. And five, and poorest of them all, as it always seems to be poor Matt, his mother being around his entire orphan life, not letting him know. From here, we can only go upwards, I hope. Well, yeah, let's hope, fingers crossed. Let's all touch wood and have our luckiest of trinkets on us. Because, yes, the only way surely is up. If only there isn't going to be probably Fisk, Dex, and the whole of the FBI, it would seem, in their way. And, of course, let's not forget Mrs. Shelby. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Even though she looked petrified at her workstation. But, yeah, there is certainly... um, a lot to be feeling sorry for the uh, the gang of um, Karen, Maggie, Foggy, Raina Deem, and Matt Murdock. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much for all the feedback. As John mentioned earlier on, if you want to send us any feedback on the rest of the episodes, just email us to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or pop on over to our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash DefendersTVPodcast. We'll be back with our next episode, episode 10, simply entitled Karen. Well, we're getting our back flashback episode. Yeah. It, it's only taken three seasons and we're going to finally understand what drove Karen to be Karen. I wonder if it'll be framed by her maybe talking to Maggie about her past. I'll be interested to see. I just want to see Matt save her. I think that's, or it should be Matt, her telling Matt. But maybe. I'm just also wondering what storyline they're going to use. 
Yeah, I, I'm intrigued because we've been waiting a long time to see it. Uh, you never yes. know, maybe a watcher's eye will explode in the middle of New York, revealing all of the secrets to all of the city. I've been reading Original Sins, obviously. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Defenders. We will talk to you again next time. Thank you so much, fellow Defenders. See you soon. Yes, thank you so much, fellow Defenders, for joining us. And I'm off to go and get the decorators in. Dun, dun, dun. Uh-oh. Derek may not be with us for this next episode. <laughs> this is going to get scary. <laughs> But once they've painted uh, everything in a nice shade of blood red, uh, we'll be back to speak with you again soon. Bye. Bye. Send help. (laughs) 